May it please the court. You may. Counsel. Uh, I'm John Dorsey. I represent uh, Jesse Sierra. I was court appointed to this case. Um, I'll refer to the alleged victim as E.W. as I have in my uh, briefs. E.W.'s credibility <clears throat> was central to the government's case. Um, this case alleged kidnapping and a variety of aggravated sexual abuse and strangulation of dating partners. So particularly with regard to the charges of aggravated sexual abuse, uh, given the absence of any physical trauma uh, to her genitalia after what she claimed uh, was <clears throat> over a week's long abduction from Rapid City down to the reservation of Pine Ridge, then to Nebraska, spending the last three or four days in a motel there where she claimed she was raped. Upon presentation to the uh, hospital, uh, the doctor found no evidence of any physical trauma um, to her genitalia. And likewise, her credibility was important because <clears throat> the claim of being kidnapped followed Jesse Sierra returning to Rapid City, going to her place of work where she was a maid, and surveillance on the second floor uh, captures their reunion. About five weeks after she had proposed marriage and the two had gotten a marriage license. In that surveillance, you see her hugging Jesse. You see her kissing Jesse. And after a time of about six minutes, you see them enter an elevator that takes about ten seconds to go to the first floor, and there was a two-minute ride there. She then leaves with him and his brother Dustin, who drives to the Golden Corral, and they have dinner together. Um, E.W.'s stories changed and shifted, and her behavior uh, was counterintuitive to, uh, I think, the general public that would consider what she did. So, so what is the relief? Are you, are you making the argument that her she is so lacking in credibility that the district court should have granted the judgment of acquittal? Is that what you're asking, asking us to do? Or a new trial, or I guess, I'm what asking, is it you want? Yeah, I'm asking to, uh, the court uh, remand this case for a new trial. And the substance of that is based upon the fact that the government was teed up uh, with an expert witness, uh, Krista Harine Graber. Uh, she is well known to this court, well known to this circuit. And she testifies routinely uh, in cases to assist juries in evaluating the characteristics of victims uh, who exhibit these counterintuitive behaviors, and shifting stories and the like. And she was noticed as an expert in our case, uh, but during the pretrial, um, the court ruled that she had uh, a history of prior traumas. I think at the age of seven, uh, she ran away from home. Uh, she said uh, to police that she'd had three abortions and one miscarriage. 
Um, about five months before this event, she came upon a body of a different boyfriend who had committed suicide with a gun. And uh, Graber's uh, designated opinion indicated that other traumas uh, would be the subject of the types of events that m might lead to this counterintuitive behavior. And so for the defense, we proposed if you're going to get into these different things, we'd like to get into these other traumas. And Judge Schreier, I think, correctly ruled that if that happened, we'd be allowed to go there. Um, Aren't you missing here, though, one essential component um, of Zephyr, which is you ended up not having expert uh, testimony. You ha ended up having the person themselves, E.W., testify or, or say, um, I'm a battered woman. And that's different because there was the bolstering element that was present in Zephyr and some of these other cases. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, uh, Krista Zephyr, uh, excuse me, Krista Harine Graber did testify in Zephyr like she did in Johnson. Um, but, but the difference here is the, the, the characterization of what happened to this victim, the, how she viewed what had happened to her, really crossed the line as to, uh, you know, simply being a survivor and then saying, you know, she was in survivor mode. Survivor mode gave her the opportunity to explain away all of this inconsistent behavior, all of this counterintuitive behavior. And it came as a surprise to us when, in the government's opening, they explained in the very first sentence that she was a survivor, and then about in the fifth paragraph, that the government instructed the jury, watch the surveillance tape in that motel. She goes into survivor mode. Uh, Judge Strauss, I think that survivor mode is, is, is a term of art that's used in the context of, of, of these kinds of cases. It's the learned helplessness that uh, Harine Graber discusses in, in, in her testimony in, in these cases. You know, but, you know, and I get where that's, that's the case in the, in the, in the, you know, amongst the legal community, but I'm wondering what, what survivor mode really says to a person who this is the first rape case they've ever seen, you know, to the juror, right? And, and I also wonder if you might want to, want to just address the issue that, you know, the words battered woman syndrome don't show up until they're volunteered in response to a question uh, that was, were you just being cordial? And then she just blurts it out. And then you follow up on it, I think appropriately so, and says, well, has anyone ever told you that you are a battered woman? And uh, she answers, I did. And you were perplexed by that, obviously. It seems like a natural reaction to anyone in that situation as well. And, and so you said, uh, has, you know, uh, pardon me? And she goes, yeah, I did. You told yourself that, you ask? And then, uh, then, uh, then she, she said, yeah. And at that point, you just have some person making something up that nobody's quite sure what it exactly means. But you followed up with that and you said, anybody else? And then she just volunteered, yeah, and my relatives, right? And then you asked uh, uh, just a couple questions about, about that. But, but that's really the only evidence of battered woman syndrome that appears uh, in this record other than survival. And then the physician in the emergency room did say, who was presented? He says she presented as a battered woman. And they, I'm sure he's talking about the obvious injuries to her face. Right. 
You're correct. The battered woman syndrome didn't happen until I, uh, during my cross-examination. But survivor mode, uh, survivor, survivor mode became, became the theory. And, and when the government asked her to explain her conduct, she again said survivor mode. And I think, I think we lost the opportunity, Your Honors, to, to really uh, dive deep into that. Uh, I, was, I, I was more than prepared to talk to Harine uh, Graber about Stockholm Syndrome and the rest of the things that she was going to talk about. It never got there. Um, yeah, but I, I see that the, the time uh, here I've, I'm going to reserve to myself. I, if, I just want to ask one more question, just to clarify. So the government brought up the survivor mode. Um, but on the battered woman syndrome, again, um, is there any relevance to the fact that you're the one who asked the question uh, as opposed to the government eliciting the testimony? If you look at Zephyr, Johnson, all the other cases, it was the government that purposefully elicited that testimony. I don't think you can separate survivor mode and, and battered woman's uh, syndrome uh, and, and delineate between the two. These were specialized explanations and her own interpretations that a layperson could not make. Um, and and uh, you know the fact that she perceived that these were her problems, she she essentially rose herself to her own expert in the case. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pachoda. Please, the court. Terry Pichota, I represent Dustin Sierra, the brother of Jesse Sierra in this matter. Uh, Jesse, or Dustin Sierra was convicted of kidnapping and um, taking um, a victim across the state lines for sexual purposes. <coughs> he was originally, he was originally indicted uh, for uh, aggravated sexual abuse, uh, two counts with Jesse, but the superseding indictment deleted him from that. And then at the conclusion of the government's case in this matter, the judge dismissed the uh, assault resulting in serious bodily injury and the, uh, the other um, uh, felony uh, assault case against uh, Dustin. But he was convicted of the, of the, uh, basically the the kidnapping and the uh, uh, transporting across state lines. <coughs> his contact, his contact with the victim in this case is very brief. Actually, he gave his brother a ride from their home in Pine Ridge to Rapid City, South Dakota. His brother had just gotten out of jail in Colorado, and so he wanted to come to Rapid City to see uh, his brother, other brother, Pihan, and he brought his five-year-old boy with him, and Jesse. And when they got here, as Mr. Dorsey pointed out, they drove around Rapid City. She got in and out of that car two or three times, at the Golden Corral, up at the up at the gym, and then at the twenty four seven. So uh, then, after that was done, she uh, got in the back seat with with uh, with Jesse, and <coughs> Dustin was it was Dustin's car. He drives the car from Pine Ridge 
back to Ogallala. And he leaves them off. He leaves them off at Mike Sierra Sr.'s house, which was uh, where, where uh, uh, Jesse was staying. And you have to, you have to, you, you also have to realize here that Dustin Sierra had known this woman for three years. For as long as, as she'd been going with Jesse, she had lived out to their place that he dropped them off at. He, she had, uh, she had been in business with Jesse in a food truck operation and a garden project. Um, and even after this fact, after, even after she, um, she was hurt in this case, she, she was communicating with Jesse in the jail, telling him that she loved him and she still wanted to marry him and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's, it's not like we have a stranger here. I mean, this woman was known to, was known to Dustin and obviously known to Jesse. So, <clears throat> well, he, let, let me ask you this. Um, you outlined in your brief what, what you believe is the lack of evidence that Dustin knew what was going on. Uh, but what about this incident, uh, I think it was at a, at a mobile home, where Jesse had E.W. in the back, and according to D.W. was sexually assaulting her, and then at some point they decided to have a quote-unquote test where um, they told her that there was law enforcement outside, and she runs out to be rescued, and then Jesse beats her up. That, that, that on cross-examination, she said, I, I, there was no test. She said, I heard somebody say that there was a police officer outside. There was never any evidence that they got together and, and was going to have some test. Why would they do that? I well, mean, whether it's a test or not, the, 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 the evidence is, and if, if it's to be believed, that she thought there was police outside. She rushes out. Jesse grabs her, beats her up, and pulls her back into the, yes. into the mobile home. And Dustin sees all this. So why doesn't that... That incident alone provides sufficient knowledge of what's going on. Well, look at he, Dustin. First of all, going back from the beginning, when they left Sierra's house after being out there for a couple of days, they go to Dustin's trailer. He's not. He didn't invite him there. He didn't after. He didn't say I will accommodate you. He didn't say anything. The, the the rape that occurred there had occurred, you know, before he even got home. He gets home, and they're there, you know, and and he sees he sees his brother striking her, and he says he has his five year old son, and he says, "Get out of here, go on. I I don't want you around here. This is my son. I don't want him seeing this." So. I mean, I, I, how can you how can you conclude that that's a, a, a participation or an encouragement? They left right after that. Uh, what about the? Uh, I mean, th this is just <coughs> using a dose of common sense. You have you have uh, uh, he's driving for a good portion of all these different uh, these different trips. 
Um, you have but two trips. Okay, and then you have you have um, Jesse choking her in and out of consciousness. You have her with a, I think, a busted lip and and everything else. Wouldn't he know at that point um, that she's there um, against her will? Um, and it, we're not talking about, mind you, we're not talking about a Winnebago here. We're talking about a mid-sized SUV. So he, he's presumably going to be aware, the jury could infirm, infer he's aware of what's going on in the back seat. Well, I asked her on cross-examination whether or not there was any communication whatsoever between her and Dustin. You have to read my cross-examination of her. I mean, she said she, she never had any... She, Dustin was always cordial to her. He never threatened her, never made any sexual overtures, never used force. There was no communication on that 70 to 80 mile trip from Rapid City to, uh, to Mike Sierra's house. And this was after she got in and out of the house, for, or in and out of the car for like three or four times in Rapid City. They were getting along. How, you know, he didn't have any reason to believe that that uh, they were uh, somehow having uh, uh, he, uh, any kind of a any kind of a problem. You don't think the jury could infer that 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 he knew what was going on, and there was something suspicious going on in the back seat if if she was being choked in and out of consciousness, and and uh, she was beaten beaten up and had all these marks on her face and stuff. If you if you want to guess, if you want to if you want to surmise that that's what happened. But, but there, there was no evidence of that. But in a light most favorable to, to the jury's verdict, right? By the time, you know, they get in the, in the vehicle and drive to Shadron, Dustin drives them to Shadron. At that point, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it strikes me that's closely related to the time that the pictures show up at the hospital. So EW is in a state. You know, I mean, she. I mean, the, the photographs, graphic. They're 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 quite disturbing. There's a lot of evidence of physical force, right? And so, when she's in that vehicle going to Shadron, viewed in a light most favorable to the conviction, has the jury violated their ability to draw an inference? And I know you're going to say yes, and I'm going to ask you why. Well, look at uh, she. Uh, once, once she left uh, uh, Jesse's or Dustin's house, she goes to her mother's house, Jesse's mother's house down the road, and she's there for a couple days. Then she asks, they ask Jesse, someone asks Jesse, take us to Shadron because that's where Shaw, his other brother, lived, and she told um, the mother. That, that she wasn't, you know, she called the police that I'm not, uh, I, I'm not um, uh, uh, missing, you know, I've eloped, blah, blah, blah. And then he takes him to, I'll get to your question, he, he, he goes and leaves her off at Shadron. Then she spent four further days in Crawford, Nebraska, you know, partying and smoking marijuana and doing everything, and that's when, right after that, Judge, is when she went to the hospital, and all that, and all that, uh, the, 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 the uh, pictures and the bruises. Judge, Judge Schreier said, look at, uh, 
these are the worst case. She, John Schreier has been on the bench for quite a long time. Yeah, <laughs> she said, this is the worst case I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I, I made a motion to sever, you know, and I, 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 there's no way that I, that this, that Dustin Sierra got a fair trial in this case. He should not have been there. He should, he should have not. She, she, she granted the, ver- the directed verdict on the, on the assault cases that he was tried for. How can he be, how can you say he aided and abetted? So. Thank you very much. You I appreciate it. Mr. Kelderman. May it please the court and counsel, uh, I'm Eric Kelderman. I represent the United States in this appeal. Uh, The evidence related to E.W. and what happened to her. First of all, the court has referred to uh, the exhibits and obviously has seen those, but exhibits 14 through 42 show a person who was severely beaten, a person who went through... uh, extensive trauma and abuse. Uh, these are not self-inflicted injuries. If they were self-inflicted, it, was, uh, it would have been very difficult. She had ligature marks around her neck. Uh, she had bruises in places all around her body, and those exhibits show those. The reason I point those out is that this is an individual who knew who she was dealing with, When she started out, when he shows up at the hotel where she's working, he's out of jail, shows up and surprises her at work, she explained she was trying to be cordial because she didn't want things to get ugly. She didn't want things to go bad. Was he he in jail in Colorado for assaulting her? That's that's my understanding of the evidence, Your Honor, is that uh, it was a prior assault that happened in Denver, I believe. Uh, He shows up. And, yeah, they go to the Golden Corral. He talked her, and this is according to her testimony, he talked her into going to the Golden Corral, and uh, Dustin, dropped them, uh, Dustin dropped them off there. They eat, picks them back up. He had gone to get groceries. He's in the vehicle with his child, and they go to the 24-7 uh, testing place just briefly. She gets out. They have an argument. He convinces her, according to her testimony, to get back in the vehicle by telling her that he'll take her home. She's a Rapid City resident. They're from Oglala, or at least that's the family place down there. Oglala's about 70-plus miles from Rapid City. Who who, who said they'd take her home, Dustin or Jesse? I believe it was Jesse that she said, said, we will take you home. And immediately, Dustin turns the wrong direction. And she tries to jump out of the vehicle. And then he began, she called it, flying down Omaha Street. So headed on a direction uh, that's going to be able to get them to go south and out of town. is Basically, he was going the wrong direction. Then she testified about the beating that began. Jesse starts strangling her. And he is doing that to the point she's losing consciousness. Again, I'm pointing all these things out because 
any reasonable person. It doesn't take an expert. It doesn't take any expert testimony. It doesn't take any specialized knowledge to look at what happened to her and to see her testimony and believe that she could call herself a survivor. I mean, the woman lived. Uh, just because an expert might come up with an explanation about being a survivor and all the different things that might be involved in that does not mean that that word is off limits to the rest of the world. She called herself a survivor. And indeed, the prosecutor used that term a couple of times as well. Nothing about that was expert in nature. And we didn't, the United States did not put on a witness to say that it was. Krista Herring-Graber was noted, uh, noticed as an expert to talk about responses to uh, trauma and things like that. And the judge said, Judge Schreier at the pretrial conference said, if Heron Graber opens the door, then there's a whole lot of other things about her history and about uh, her past that might come in. And the prosecutor even noted at the pretrial conference, she said, Krista Heron Graber is not going to open that door. We're not going down that road. So she said it right there. Uh, the defense was on appeal is bothered by Heron uh, Graber not being called. I believe it appears to me that the uh, defense had a plan. They were going to go into a number of things with Heron Graber, and they weren't given that opportunity. And so the testimony of uh, EW is all that it was relied on. She testified about the things that happened to her. Uh, then, during the defense cross-examination, why were you being cordial? Why were you being friendly? Well, I think it's called battered woman syndrome, or I believe it's what happens when you're a battered woman. Again, I go back to those exhibits, and I go back to the testimony of what happened yeah. here and the things that happened from one place to the other and where this woman was taken, where she was left, where her trail of evidence. She almost left a, a trail of breadcrumbs, and she said it was because she was afraid she was going to die. I want to separate out the two instances, because I think there's a difference. When Mr. Dorsey asked um, uh, the follow-up question, I mean, she volunteers uh, because I'm a battered woman suffering from, or, or with battered woman syndrome. That's what I think the direct quote was. And, and, and then there's some follow-up there. And that's a little different because it's elicited by the defense and the final follow-throughs there. But I think that he made an argument that, to me, I think we need to plumb a little bit deeper. If, if in fact, the opening statement had said she's a survivor, the physical evidence is going to show she's a survivor. I think that that's a perfectly reasonable use of the word, and it doesn't interfere uh, with uh, the presentation of the case in any meaningful way. But the words that were used uh, uh, by the AUSA was that, was that when she sees them, she goes into survivor mode. And they say survivor mode, I think, twice during the course of the, of the trial. Well, survivor mode seems like it might be something different to me than survivor. Um, and one wonders whether or not in this world of pop psychology, if you have on one hand the reference to survivor mode and then you follow that up with a, I'm a battered woman with battered woman syndrome, that that probably means something or might mean something to a jury. And, and does that matter to you that, that 
if we that that survivor mode is is likely seems to be describing some sort of a of a state of mind that deprives you of your free will as opposed to I'm just a survivor. I suppose in uh, in a context where there is some expert testimony about that, I suppose it would take on that meaning. I understand the court's question that uh, survival mode might mean something different than a survivor, but uh, this was this was E.W. and her description of herself. Uh, so pop psychology or not, the jury got to see exactly who this person was. She sat in front of them, and she testified uh, for an extensive period of time, cross-examined for even longer, uh, and her warts and her problems and different things about her personality and what she saw, the jury knew exactly who was saying, I'm a battered woman. I wanted to, to follow up on, 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 that, on Judge Erickson's question, which is, um, I didn't get a chance to explore this, but, but it's something certainly for everybody to think about. Zephyr and some of the earlier cases all talk about non-intuitive behaviors. Um, and when you have a non-intuitive behavior, like trying to please your abuser, that's when you have an expert come in and that's when you get a chance to counter it in, in Zephyr. But I wonder whether this case is also different because I don't know if the phrase survivor mode is non-intuitive. If somebody's life is threatened, again, assuming, assuming the facts are as, as um, the government's witnesses testified, that seems to me to be very intuitive. People whose life is threatened is intuitive, and you frankly don't need an expert to explain it. So I, I just wonder if that makes this case different. And I, I wanted to say it out loud so that opposing counsel had an opportunity to talk about that as well. Uh, Judge Strauss, you... Uh said it better than I did. I guess I, I agree with that completely, and I believe that that is something where this is just uh, a person who is describing what happened to her for eight days, basically on a daily basis for eight days, uh, and then finally escapes, uh, finally sees an opportunity, and uh, she gets away from it. Uh, well, I, I suspect what the other side will say is, if you if you uh, if you go with the idea that survivor mode means that you're going to please your abuser so that they don't abuse you worse, as I understand um, uh, Mr. Dorsey's comments, though, he he claims there were several instances where she was separated from Jesse, where she could have she could have just called the police from a convenience store, or that there were they weren't together all the time, and uh, that's. <clears throat> Any separation that there may have been was when they were in, when I say in Oglala, I'm going to clarify because the testimony, uh, I believe the special agents, uh, Special Agent Beery or Special Agent Clifford, described where this place was. So <coughs> Oglala is a small community. It's right on Highway 18, a major U.S. highway, uh, going through the reservation. But their place was way off the beaten path. They had, uh, it's the Mike Sierra, I guess I'll just call it a complex just for uh, purposes of this argument. Uh, it's a large place, a large swath of land that had a trailer here and then a trailer over here, not visible one to the other. It's a big distance and there's hills. Uh, I believe EW referred to one part of it as the Badlands part of it. So uh, there's some rough territory, some big hills uh, there's a trailer in another location, and then there's a greenhouse in another location, 
She is so remote. I mean, she is uh, miles, miles from Oglala. So anytime she may have spent alone, uh, you know, some of the time she spent alone was inside a box where he nailed her inside. Uh, some of the time that she was alone, uh, she was hiding a phone in a shed at his mother's place. Again, trying to leave a, a trail of crumbs, as I've referred to it, so that people could find her in case she died. This woman uh, was forced. Jesse took her, and they showed, uh, Jesse and his mother, Luella Youngman, showed her the APB, the report from the Rapid City Police that she was a missing person. In their presence, she had to call the Rapid City Police Department, or dispatch, and say, I'm not missing, uh, we eloped. Well, no one believed that. I mean, she wouldn't give a whole lot of information. And so the things that she did, she explained. She didn't just say survivor mode or survival mode on everything that she did, uh, but she explained why she did this because he's right there. I didn't know what he was going to do, uh, but she did explain all the different places where she left blood and where she tried to uh, allow people to find her. She really didn't think she was going to live. So that she calls herself a survivor or that she was in survival mode, uh, Judge Strauss, again, to your point, I believe it does show someone who is just talking about what she was doing. You know, the interesting thing about the, the whole um, counterintuitive component, which has always been true, does that mean that this body of, of, of evidentiary law evolves over time? You know, because if you think about it, 40 years ago is when this kind of whole battered woman syndrome uh, really kind of burst onto the into the sort of public consciousness. I think that that uh, like with the movie The Burning Bed and, and some of that stuff, and then it... And, and and now after 40 years, is it, does it really, I mean, does the mention of, uh, of battered woman, I'm a battered woman, uh, set aside battered woman syndrome, because I think that's a medical thing, but if you just said, because I'm a battered woman, would that intuitively lead the jury to the same place regardless at this point, such that, that maybe it's not the same uh, evidence that it would have been, say, 30 years ago. Your Honor, I had that point written down uh, deeper into my notes. I don't know if I would have gotten there, but uh, once again, I appreciate the court pointing that out. Uh, yeah, years and years ago, this was a new thing. I believe battered woman syndrome was something that was actually listed in the DSM at one point. Now it's, uh, I believe it's, a, I don't even know if it's called a subcategory, but it's, it's not its own category in the DSM. It's all under uh, PTSD, uh, but these are words that are now just part of the vernacular, part of something that uh, your average layperson knows. Again, I refer back to the exhibits. If she, in fairness, uh, EW has a right to call herself a battered woman, and I believe the evidence the evidence of what happened to her, the photographs and the testimony, all of those things show how battered she was. She was beaten and broken, and uh, not until she finally escaped. And they locked that hospital down, 
to keep anyone from coming in, finally, at that point, she's safe. And she gives a little bit of information. But it's not for a few days after that before she starts talking more about what happened to her. Uh, but she's been through eight days of trauma, eight days of uh, horrendous behavior toward her. So she used a term. Counsel uh, asked her questions repeatedly. What does that mean? What do you mean by battered woman syndrome? What do you mean by battered woman? Is this something you came up with on your own? Yes. So we're clear. It's clear to the jury. It's clear from the testimony who is offering this opinion. 701, rules, uh, rule 701C, I believe it is, allows a, a lay witness to test about, testify about their opinions if it's rationally based on their own perceptions of what happened. She was giving her own opinion. She had a rational basis because of what occurred and what was happening to her. I would like to discuss just a moment the failure to uh, uh, the denial of the motion to sever. Um, if you think about the motion to sever, um, the case as it ends up being submitted to the jury is very different than what is actually in the indictment in that charges go away, uh, there's some amended indictment, uh, things that go on, and so that it consistently resolves itself in a way that is more favorable to Dustin over the course of time. Um, and I understand that there's a, there's the ability of a, you know, of the judge, the judge possesses great, uh, discretion in this particular, um, question. But, but given the sort of physical evidence that was, um, um, available about, uh, at least, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the trauma that, uh, EW had suffered, um, was, was this a case that, that uh, really um, a stronger than ordinary case for severance can be made? I believe no, Your Honor. And uh, why not? Because, I, because I'm looking at just the physical. I mean, you're, you're accused of being the driver, and yet there's all this physical evidence that's out there that you really don't have much connection to. And, and it gets less as time goes on, right? I mean, um, and of course, the judge doesn't have the hindsight of knowing what, I, what getting to judge what the evidence that lays in is going to look like. The aiding and abetting, I believe, is the biggest part of this. Uh, if if there had been separate charges against Dustin for doing something independent of Jesse, perhaps then uh, a strong case for severance could be made. Uh, but here, the evidence against Jesse would come in in a trial against Dustin. The evidence against Dustin would come in in a trial against Jesse. They were part and parcel of the same series of actions, uh, a set of, a uh, course of conduct that occurred. And Dustin, Dustin's actions allowed a lot of this to happen. Uh, when you talk about a kidnapping, uh, he drove her away, drove her away a few times from Rapid City to Oglala and then Oglala to Crawford or into Nebraska, into the different places where they went to uh, find Mike Sierra Jr. He knows full well what happened. It started happening as soon as she tried to jump out of that vehicle in Rapid City 
and she gets strangled. Uh, E.W. testified about how Jesse not only had his arm around her neck, he's dragging her into the back seat, into the back part of that vehicle, on top of the groceries. There's no way he doesn't see what is happening in his vehicle. He's driving. He didn't just uh, make a wrong turn. He turned the wrong direction and then screamed out of town, again, according to her testimony. Then, later on, she is, she is beaten severely, and it shows. And he still then takes her to Nebraska. He's helping to hide her. He's helping to cover up uh, the interstate domestic violence and the kidnapping uh, that Jesse had done, that Jesse had uh, uh, begun perpetrating. The United States asks that the court affirm the convictions in all respects. Thank you. Mr. Dorsey, I believe you had a little bit of time left. Not sure how much. Is four seconds what's left? Is that? No, no. no 44. I'll give you a, a, a two minutes to. Vikings scored with two minutes. Yeah. Um, you wrote uh, Zephyr. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the, the reason for this testimony from experts um, and shifting stories uh, seem counterintuitive. So the expert testimony allows the jurors to evaluate the behavior. She evaluated her own behavior. She gave her own opinion and couched it in language uh, of survivor mode. We'd asked for mental health records, and we were denied that by, by Judge Viken. Um, but but this, this, this woman, um, at, at, at every opportunity, it seemed, excused, excused her credibility issues by labeling it with survivor mode. Yeah, but I'm not sure, again, the counterintuitive point. That, that, that bothers me here because there's the, there's the sense that Judge Malloy was talking about, which is some of the individual behaviors may be counterintuitive, but not the, I mean, if my life was threatened, I'd be in survivor mode too, and I'd have no problem saying that. And so I just wonder if that makes this case different. Yeah, but if your life was threatened and you had a cell phone, you wouldn't leave it in a room, you'd pick it up and call. But then, where, where, yeah, that's right. But then, where does the line between telling what happened, right, and survivor? Because I don't know if survivor mode by itself gets you there. Well, I, I think it's because I, I think it's because this person doesn't have, you know, the specialized knowledge or expertise to say these things equate to survivor mode. These things equate to being a survivor. Look at this picture. I was terribly, horribly beaten. I survived. Okay? But the United States attorney said she goes into survivor mode. And now the jury is to believe for the next eight days, perhaps even during the trial, all of what she is saying, she's in survivor mode. Uh, we won't need a Krista Harine Graber anymore if, if you know, the, the, the outcome is that survivor mode's okay to, to talk about. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Pachota, I think that your time was up, but I'll give you a minute. If you wish. There's no question, there's no question that, that EW said <clears throat> what happened in the car. 
but it's also true that she said there was no communication with Dustin in that car. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind is this woman told three or four stories on, on almost everything that she testified about. I mean, she, when she got to the hospital that night, she told the biggest line of BS that, and she admitted it. She admitted that she wasn't telling the truth. So getting back to that car, I, I you know, if, 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 if she admits that there was no communication and that Dustin had never hurt her or did anything uh, uh, objectively uh, that, that could be uh, causing her to go into fear or anything like that, she would have said that, and she didn't. I mean, she, 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 on cross-examination, she completely exonerated uh, Dustin Sierra from anything. Thank you, Mr. Machota. Um, the case has been well briefed and well argued. I want to thank you all for your time here. We'll take it under advisement and um, have an opinion out in due course. Thank you. The clerk may call the next.